Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 98. I just wanted to say thanks to everybody who uh, sent in feedback about the BPs, which I know is a function of uh, battleship retention, but uh, I tried to promote it uh, on my personal Facebook page and on on, uh, the More Than One Lesson Twitter page, and uh, and people were very responsive. So thank you for that, and uh, thanks to everybody who chimed in about uh, the Hurt Locker. Um, I did get a couple emails from people... uh, associated either currently or in the past with the military and um it and we had uh and they made some very interesting points and uh it was i'm i'm glad when people engage even if they don't necessarily agree with what i'm saying um i prefer you agree with what i'm saying i will put that out there so uh so if you're going to email me something that you don't agree with maybe lead and end with something you do agree with it's like What's up? I started to say something. And I realized you hadn't introduced me yet. I'm sorry. Oh, right. I'm sorry. Uh, Josh. Say, yeah. <laughs> it's like what? It's like a compliment sandwich. Aren't you glad we did that for this? And absolutely. Yeah. For a minute, I thought uh, I thought you like were about to burp into the mic, and then you like <laughs> held your mouth like, oh, no. Um, I was about to just swear a blue streak. I've done it before. Not a blue streak, <laughs> but I, there was one time when I got really emotional, and I let something. I was like, oh, shoot. Well, mm-hmm. I guess I'm going to have to beep that. Um but yeah, so uh, so yeah, uh, I appreciate uh, everybody's feedback, uh, positive or negative. It's fine. I just like that people are engaging with the show. Um, I also wanted to remind everyone that uh, a couple weeks ago, I was on uh, a podcast, a video and audio podcast called Post Show Recaps. Um, I'm going to be on there again this weekend talking about the recent passing of actor, director, writer Harold Ramis. Uh, whose uh, death is very sad. I had the I had the pleasure of uh, meeting him about 13 years ago at the Chicago O'Hare Airport, and we talked for about three minutes. And he was a super nice guy, um, but also from an artistic standpoint, I think he's he's done a lot for the world of uh, film comedy. But anyway, so you can go to postshowrecaps.com and find that. Uh, it will be a, a, a fun discussion, um, albeit one uh, with a hint of melancholy because we are mm-hmm. sad that he is gone. So, okay. Uh, well, I already welcomed you in. Josh. Josh hey. is here, everyone. Yeah, I'm here. I've been here the whole time. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> so the movie that we're talking about. <laughs> I also love that that stare you gave me while you were trying to figure out what I was thinking is totally not going to read. People are going to be like, what was that long pause? Uh, maybe I'll well, cut that down a little bit. Well, I no, probably won't. Now, now, now they know. Now you know. When you're wondering what that long pause was, Tyler was giving me this look like, what do you what's going on yeah because that's the thing we just uh we just recorded a mini so that will air next week so i'm used to you talking and mm-hmm. so i felt like i had already introduced you but yeah. i had not so you're welcome to talk before i introduce you yeah you know 
Here's the thing, though. I w- if you do that, I will not introduce you. People yeah. will just have to be like, who's this guy? They'll be confused. And if I talk first, they'll think that I'm you, and they'll be like, now I don't even know what's going on. Oh, that would be so much fun. Let's... Oh, we should do like an episode where, where you're I'll just me, start out and pretend to be you. And I'll and I'll pretend to be you. That'll uh, be fun no. and insulting of everyone involved. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't <laughs> think I'm going to like how you do that. <laughs> uh, I'm working on it right now, but no. I, I got I to gotta stay focused. Okay. <laughs> So, um, so this, uh, episodes in theory go up on Thursday, but, uh, practically they pretty much go up, uh, on Fridays. So if you're listening to this, when it, uh, when it posts either in iTunes or on the website, we are a couple of days away from the Academy Awards. We sure are. Uh, which I'm uh, excited about for a number of reasons. One is that there's actually almost every year that's, it's, it's kind of a foregone conclusion. What's going to win best picture this year, not the case. Uh, this year it's it's uh, between three, but mostly two movies, and uh, and I really don't know what's going to win. I have an idea, but you never know. I've been surprised before. I think it's Philomena this year. I'm I'm telling you. Let's let's go for it. I was yeah. rooting for it last year, and it didn't win. But this year, I think maybe next year will be it. Maybe next if it doesn't year. win this year, maybe next year, maybe next time. Um, but yeah, and so uh, now one movie that is not in contention that, that is nominated, but nobody's talking about it for best picture is Spike Jones. Her, um, it got a surprising number of, uh, nominations. It was nominated for best picture, best original screenplay, best original song, production design, and best original score. Wouldn't it be awesome if this movie did win best picture? That would be amazing. I think I'd be super excited if it did. I don't think it's going to happen, but no, um, it didn't, didn't it win, was it LA Critics? It won one of the Critics Awards. Oh, it, prob- it, it won a couple Critics Awards, but uh, Critics Awards are almost never, ever right. uh, the But there, there was one, maybe it was LA, there was one where it like swept and everybody was like, what? They were, it was yeah. kind of a shock in the, in the film world because we knew, uh, part of that was because a lot of people hadn't seen it yet, you know? Because yeah. so many of these Critics Awards happen before the movies come out and that's why, uh, is my theory at least, to why Wolf of Wall Street won absolutely nothing until that started to win some things in like late, you know, mid December. Yeah. But I think, I think a lot of the critics awards, uh, happen before critics get a chance to see all the movies when it comes to Oscar season. It's possible. And, uh, and the, the mentality is sometimes like, Oh, the earlier, the better. We got to get ours out before everyone else. I know that's what happened with a a number of non critics awards, uh, shows and ceremonies and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, uh, and I think some of us just assumed that her would not get the support because Spike Jones tends to not make movies that the Academy embraces. Mm. Um, certainly, you know, being John Malkovich was nominated for some stuff, including director, uh, adaptation was nominated for some acting awards, uh, where the wild things are nothing. Um, and so with this one, it seemed like, okay, maybe there's certainly there's probably an original screenplay nomination in there. Uh, but probably not much more. Um, it's worth noting that, uh, you and I are part of a fantasy Oscar draft and the only thing that in, in, in the initial draft, the only thing that anybody picked it for was original screenplay, which was, was you. Me. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, it's, it's very exciting that it's, that it's getting any support at all. My hope is that as it was nominated for this stuff, that more people sought it out. Perhaps that would yeah. be nice. But Tyler, why do we like this movie so much? Are you moving? Are you moving this along? Sure. Are you acting like me now? All right. Maybe. Maybe. Let me act like you for a minute. I don't oh, like that one bit. I wish I had a. I wish I had a, a dial tone. 
just at the ready so that I could do a really good approximation of you. I'm joking, of course. You're just the height of char- of charisma. Yeah, that's so, true. <laughs> so, all right. Josh, that's a good question. Why do we like this movie so much? I'm, I'm racking my brains. Okay. Uh, for those that don't know, and and I'll try not to, uh, we'll try not to spoil it because it, not, it, it hasn't been out very long and not many people have, have seen it. Uh, if you're listening to this, maybe you have, but I don't know. So, um, so I'll, I'll give a very basic uh, plot summary, which is uh, in the not too distant future, a lonely man downloads a new operating system for his computer and phone. This OS is tailored to his specific personality. And as he and the OS get to know each other, they begin to fall in love with one another. All right. Very basic premise. There's some, you know, any kind of complexity added to that is almost purely emotional, um, not plot. Yeah. So, um, so that's, so that's it. Pretty, pretty simple. Hmm. Um, and I think some people would think that that idea is kind of silly and to a certain extent it is kind of silly, but it's also so very feasible um, given what we know technology to be and where it could be headed in the future. Um, I mean, it doesn't seem too far off from like, you know, when you plug in on Netflix, like, oh, I liked this movie. I gave it this many stars and that many stars. And it's like, oh, well, based on that, you'll probably if you like this. this. Yeah. yeah. That is something being tailored to your specific preferences. Um, yeah. Obviously, and, you're not interacting with it and it doesn't have free thought, but, you know, right. it's... It, that one of the reasons that I like this movie is that it all feels so very feasible. Oh yeah, and I mean that's the way that marketing has been moving for years and years, and so it 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 seems so realistic to have a world where it's totally catered to you. Like mm-hmm. it's more and more about you, 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 the most that it possibly can be. Yeah. Um, that's why that's why everything that Apple sells is it's like my this and my that, and I think that's why it's called iPod. Oh yeah, that's true. iPad iMac, that's one. There you go. Um, I could be wrong. There could be an actual technical reason that they're they're called that, but that's what I thought. And it's certainly the reason that you have my documents on my on your computer or something like that. That's true. Man, this is this is insidious. Yeah. My music, my videos. I'm recording on a laptop right now from Apple. What if it just snapshot? Like, <laughs> they're onto us. <laughs> And it sprouts legs and runs away. Um, in, in a very David cronenberg way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the legs are slimy. There's no question about it. Um, but yeah, so... Uh, so, and that, yeah, when I say that this is feasible, I also mean the future as envisioned by uh, uh, Spike Jones is feasible. Like yeah. the way people dress, uh, the way they act, and the lives they, they lead. It's not far off from what our our world looks like now I, I love that when a movie does a good future yeah. um i feel like i remember i feeling the same way with children of men hmm. and, and that obviously was a very different type of future but i felt like the look was very believable for the for the circumstances that that world is in and um this is one that you can you can totally believe. Um, <laughs> part of me was like, I hope LA looks like that in in several years because it looks really cool. <laughs> I guess so. certain certain elements of it yeah. of the way that it looks, and uh, but there there's an attention to detail that makes a good future movie, um, and that that goes into the clothes that people wear, the hairstyles, things like that, and, and yeah. you, it's clear that all there has been attention paid to all of those things. 
Yeah, and and some of the fashion, I feel like this is here's here's an example of of what we're talking about. People now, inclu- you know, including the two of us, like we look at some of the like one of the things in fashion in in this vision of the future is uh, are like high waisted pants. Yeah, all the men seem to wear high waisted yeah. pants, and so. Um, you know, we look at that and like, oh, that's kind of silly. That's kind of dumb. But it's kind of silly and dumb in the same way that somebody in the 90s would look at fashion now yeah. and say, why on earth do you need pants that skinny <laughs> that looks uncomfortable? And just where's uh, your jean jacket? Yeah. Get with the program. Where's your flannel? I retained mine, by the way. <laughs> I wear flannel all the time. But um, but yeah, and so uh, stuff like that and little things like uh, clearly – the mustache has come back, mm-hmm. but not in an ironic way. Like yeah. People just have them and they're viewed as fashionable. Yeah. And so it's, it's stuff like that that just – it just makes sense. It seems like not far off. It seems like maybe yeah. five, ten years from now. Yeah. Um, and so uh, so with, with sci-fi, that, that is – one of the – you know, one of my favorite science fiction movies is Alien, partially because, yes, they're on a spaceship – but their behavior, the way they dress, and just the fact that like this spaceship, it's it's clearly the future, but it's treated like an oil rig. It mm-hmm. looks like an oil rig. It's yeah. just – it's not made to be sleek and cool looking. It's made to get the job done. And so in that sense, uh, I believe Ridley Scott referred to Alien as like space truckers. Space truckers, yeah. And it has that vibe. And so immediately you watch this – You know, I- I've never been on a spaceship. Have you? Uh, not in, not in this life now. Okay. Oh, all right. There's a follow up question there that I will not ask this yeah, episode. That's all right. Um, there might be a whole other podcast to to devote to that. But anyway, oh, there is. Um, so uh, so I've never been in in their specific circumstance, but I know what it's like to be at work. I know what it's like to feel like you're not being paid enough. I know what's you know. Mm-hmm. And so any situation where it can where a movie can uh, that takes place in sort of a fantasy world can bring us in and actually relate to us specifically. I feel like it is spot on and uh, specifically with the character of uh, Theodore Twombly played by Joaquin Phoenix and just the way he lives his life um, to the point. Oh my gosh, this thing hit me like a ton of bricks early in the film. He is done with work. He puts uh, his earbud in and then he announces he, he commands his iPod uh, melancholy song. And then it starts playing one and it's not the one he wants. So he says different melancholy song. (laughs) Now, as somebody who has a playlist on his computer simply titled melancholy, uh, (laughs) I was just like, oh, wow, this thing is – I can relate to this. Um, I'm not sure if I would ever say that in in a crowded elevator of people. But But that's just because the world that he's in has adapted to that sort of place where it's normal. You talk to your your OS on your – it, it's an iPhone type device. It's yeah. it's unclear, obviously, if there's not a make or model to the device, but it's that type of thing. Yeah, and it's and so at the very so like in that moment, and that's probably specific very much to me and maybe a handful of other people. But like in that moment, like this film has got me. <laughs> um, but uh, but I, I feel like there's enough recognizable things in it. Um, that I feel like anybody could relate to this movie. I I assume. I don't know. Mm. It might also be – there might be such a – I don't know. A certain type of uh, angst 
uh, and uh, and ennui to the film that maybe people of a certain generation or at a certain stage in their life, maybe they can't relate to it. It does seem like something tailored to 40 and under. Yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah, not to say that it can't appeal to anybody over that age range, but I think the uh, the sort of person who wants to go to the movies just to have a good time and be entertained might not like this movie. Um because I feel like it's trying to say a lot. Yeah. And I, I can see people coming out of the movie and being like, ah, that was preachy. Um, maybe maybe the people who need to see this sort of message more maybe, than, yeah. uh, than others. And that's the thing is, what fascinates me is when people, if people were to watch this movie and call it preachy, okay, uh, what do you think they would think the movie is being preachy about? Um. I feel like the the movie has a lot of negative things to say about the way that we use technology nowadays, mm-hmm. and I can see people feeling offended by that. Okay, um, that would require uh, a good deal of insight into what the film's actually about. So mm-hmm. it's very possible that those those two people, the person with both of those viewpoints, does not exist. Mm-hmm. The person who would have enough insight into what the movie's about and feel like they're being uh, uh, chastised for their attitude towards their technology. And oddly enough, I would say that that theme is one of the easier ones to pick up on. Mm-hmm. I think it's about, and it is the kind of movie that could bear multiple different interpretations depending on who's talking about yeah. it. Um, it certainly is that, mm-hmm. um, the way we lean on technology. Like, I mean, you know, I mentioned uh, him standing in a crowded elevator and saying melancholy music. One of the reasons that he's comfortable doing that could be that people are accustomed to it. Another reason could be that nobody's listening. Everyone is looking down at their own phones mm-hmm. and you know, like you, you don't have to worry about how people will view you cause they're not. Yeah. Um, but, and that, that I guess I won't say much to not spoil it, but that scene that he has on the steps. Mm-hmm. Another one I'm talking about, like yeah. that is another example of that. He's surrounded by people in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, so I feel like that, that theme of like technology, I feel like it's pretty, I don't want to say obvious because you never know what's, <laughs> what someone yeah, will pick up it, on. I, I think it's, it's less that it's less just seeing that theme as it is, seeing the intricacies of that theme and what right. it goes, what it goes into with that. Cause one of the things that I like about the film is as you're watching it, you, because of the, uh, the psychological, psychological and emotional things that the film has to say that are wrapped up in that idea of how we approach our technology. Mm-hmm. Um, you almost start to side with him at points. And I remember going back and forth during the movie and thinking, is this movie pro or con having all of your life poured into technology or social media or something of that sort? Yeah. Um, and I think it speaks to the strength of the film that, that you could at any point in the movie feel like this could go, this could be either way. And I think one of the things that I like about it, uh, you and I talked about this last week with the Hurt Locker and that some people were offended uh, about uh, the way it depicts soldiers. And you and I said, well, I feel like it's not depicting soldiers. I think it's depicting this guy. Mm. And I feel like, yes, the film certainly has a lot to say about uh, technology and the way we interact with it. But I think 
where I think this is a good choice rather than simply use the main character as a stand in for all of us and, and the main, uh, story and the main relationship rather than have it be just purely metaphorical um where where the complexity starts to come in and where you know you start to go back and forth and i started to go back and forth is it's like well we're watching this man's story now undoubtedly there are others like it but not all of them and so and for this man the relationship with his os seems to be a positive thing Mm -hmm. So it's like overall, yes, I would say this is probably a bad thing, but for this man, it seems it's uh, sorry, overall, I'd say it's a negative thing, but for this man, it appears to be positive. And then once you start thinking like that, then you start thinking it's like, but if it's positive for this guy, maybe it's Why positive it for someone else for anybody. Right. Yeah. And then you're, so you're like, well, is this a bad thing or not? And then, then yeah. you start to, exi- you start thinking about it as someone who was really you start thinking about it as if you really lived in a world where this is possible yeah you're really having that debate in your head which uh, when you read the uh the summary on like that we've written down here it mm-hmm. it seems kind of silly and outlandish and when you say it out loud it seems kind of silly and outlandish but th- this is a world where this is a reality and the film forces you to ponder it as if it were as if you were in that reality as if you lived there yeah, and it's and that at the very least is one of the things that makes it such a great piece of sci-fi. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, you go into this this happens sometimes. And in fact, with the companion film, that's there's sci-fi elements to that as yeah. well. But um you know, you go into this movie sort of expecting the science fiction elements to be there mostly so that he can tell this story that is kind of funny at times and mm-hmm. kind of you know, uh, kind of dramatic at others, but no, like the sci-fi elements, like it, they are front and center. Oh yeah. Like there's no, they are not just a means to an end. It's central and necessary to both of the plot and the themes of the film, which then makes it, you know, uh, a great example of science fiction in general, because like some of the best science fiction, uh, uses, you know, explorations of technology and the future and that sort of thing to tell us things about ourselves now. And though science fiction tends to be, tends to feel kind of cold. Sometimes it's dealing with very emotional issues yeah. that, that are very relevant to the, to the viewer, uh, no matter when the viewer is watching it. And so it's, uh, so yeah, her just from a, from that standpoint is something that I think most people would enjoy. Some people, yes, could see it as preacher as preachy, but I think, that's somebody who I think would be prone to misinterpret and say the film's somehow anti-technology. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that's like a movie being anti-money. Is it, you know, <laughs> is it anti-money or is it anti the love of money? Yeah. Um, you know, like, uh, we didn't talk, we didn't talk much about Wolf of Wall Street, yeah. uh, in regards to its attitude towards money or the main character's attitude towards money. Like, I don't think that movie is anti-money. I think it's more like, okay, if you have access to a lot of it, now what? Mm-hmm. Do you just want more? Is it just, you know, are you using it as an opportunity to like help people or yeah. just yourself? It's, you it's, know? it's asking, what do you do with this thing? Yeah. I and mean, I think that's a, that is a better movie because there, there are movies that I think just try to villainize having money at all. And I think yeah. that's amateurish. Yeah. Because and, you, you can't ascribe a, a moral value to an inanimate thing. Yeah. So when a film or any kind of story says like, okay, here's this thing. What do you do with it? How do you respond to it? How do you handle it? That, that leads to interesting ideas, interesting questions. 
Yeah. And in a way, like her is not that different than, say, the Terminator films, you know, in that. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Society just became. Or Robocop. Or, Robo, or <laughs> Robocop. Yeah. But I feel like specifically, like in her, we have the OSs because mm-hmm. it's not just the main one. It's it's the whole, you know, slate of them. Right. Uh, and then in Terminator, there's Skynet. There's this thing that we become very dependent on, and we're all okay with it, only to find, oh, there's more to it than we thought. Um, and so, uh, so as a so, I, just to sum that up, yeah, as a science fiction film, if you are if you're listening to this uh, and you're a science fiction fan, you haven't seen her. I think you'll like it a lot. I think it works very well as a comedy. I laughed regularly. Um, that's yeah. something that Spike Jones really specializes in is mm-hmm. creating and crafting excuse me uh certainly films with as i mentioned a melancholy feel to them but also films that are often laugh out loud funny yeah and there were a couple moments in this film where i i was just like oh man this is just as funny as you can get one of them being an early scene in which uh, our main character goes on a sort of a Craigslist uh, but like in an odd, like he's never looking at anything. It's all just uh, audio. He just puts his little earpiece in and just says he's looking for somebody, you know, like this or like that. And then he gets hooked up with this uh, woman and they're basically going to have phone sex. And that scene, first off, it's very effective in depicting his loneliness, hmm. but then it quickly turns quite funny when he discovers <laughs> just, uh, uh, just how, complex this woman's sexuality is <laughs> yeah um, one of one of those other women that he he hears from but doesn't uh accept is is bill Hader. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then the woman he does he does accept is a uh, Kristen wig Kristen wig yeah. yeah yeah so um so yeah there's some fun casting in there as well <laughs> um so all right now we've spoken kind of about the 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 genre of the film um what do you think about and I do want to be careful. I don't want to give too much away in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about the specifics of the story, whether it be the character of Theodore, the character of Samantha, mm-hmm. um, or or just uh, plot developments and, and that sort of thing? I I, I think they're great. I think um, I think Theodore is a very complex character and. Um, very identifiable, even mm-hmm. though, like you say, he's he's in a different circumstance. He we can we can relate to him very much. I think I'm trying to decide if you are not a person that at all has dealt ever with any kind of loneliness. I don't I don't think that that person exists, but right. Um, I think there are people out there who would say that's not a thing that I think about or or. You know, I feel lonely sometimes if I'm by myself yeah. for a while, but I'm wondering if a person who hasn't really dealt with that would not respond to it in the same way. And I guess it's hard to say because I, I think I have been there. So uh, I feel like I can understand that. Um, I think there's I think there's probably it seems pretty universal. Yeah. I, at some point, somebody has dealt with some kind of loneliness, even yeah. if it's somebody who's like very happily married and like, I don't know, maybe they're. 
spouse is on a trip or something like that in that moment. Or, you know, I, I often feel it and I have a number of friends and I'm very happily married, but like I do tend to keep pretty late hours and there are some times when it's like 2 a.m. and I want nothing more than to talk to another person and I cannot. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I feel like everybody, regardless of their circumstances, has experienced it at least for a, a fleeting moment. Yeah. And I think that character very accurately portrays that feeling of loneliness. I feel like yeah. the place that he's in, the way that he reacts, the the way that he gets so sucked into the relationship with Samantha. And there, one of my favorite moments in the film is, uh, I guess it's just a, uh, it's a very small thing, but you know, I can't even remember that it's something specific that happens in the scene, but one of the early scenes that he has with Samantha where he's, uh, I don't know if we said this already. Samantha is the name of the operating system. Yes. yes. Uh, the operating system gives itself the name Samantha. Yeah. Um, which is uh, some of the tech technological things of how the OS, uh, creates itself and develops, I think are very interesting, especially yeah. from a science fiction standpoint. And we don't have to really talk about that, but that's, I think it's very interesting anyway. Um, there's a scene early on when he starts talking about kind of personal things with the operating system. And you have a moment at first where you're like, why is he doing this? It's a computer. Yeah. And then you think to yourself, well, the computer responds like a person would, but you don't have any of the responsibility that you would if it were an actual person. Right. And suddenly it, it, you're like, wouldn't that be great? Like it, it was amazing to how quickly that shifted in my mind from coming into it i was even coming into it expecting it to deal with uh like some of those technological things that we talked about like relying on technology or or using social media instead of connecting with people on a personal level um or in place of connecting with people on a personal level i guess um but even coming into that like i had that moment of thinking like how wonderful would that be to have someone that you feel like you could talk to say anything you wanted to, you know, they can't judge you. Yeah. They can't think less of you. They can't go away from you. Like it seems like the, the perfect relationship. Yeah. Well, depending on how you define relationship, well, but yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's literally like being able to rely on somebody who is 100% on board with you and yeah. in favor of you. Yeah. Um, and of course, there is a vaguely uh, Stepford Wives quality to that. <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. I hadn't even thought of that. And, uh, but at the same time, like, what's fascinating is that, you know, I just mentioned Stepford Wives. What happens there is their personalities, their organic personalities are taken away. Whereas Samantha, her personality remains, mm -hmm. but then one can and make develops. the And develops. And that's the thing. Early on, one can make the argument that her she does have a personality, but everything is contingent on giving this man what he needs mm -hmm. um, and not objecting to what he has to say and stuff like that. But that's the thing is, um, and from a plot standpoint, and again, I, I, I don't want to go too far with this cause we'll, we'll start to get into spoilers, but um, this idea of yes, for a while it is the quote unquote perfect relationship. And then it just becomes a relationship mm -hmm. because no matter what we no matter how hard we try, whether it be with a, a spouse or a friend or, or whatever. Um, and this person is just, it's like, man, this person just does like, every, like this person never says anything I don't like. Mm -hmm. This is great. It's like, yeah, that's probably early on mm -hmm. and give it a long enough time. And you'll realize, Oh, this person is 
an individual. They do exist. They existed before you came along. Now with Samantha, that's not the case. But uh, they existed before you came along. Were you to go away, they would continue to exist. Uh, They have their own thoughts and opinions. And sometimes they're not going to line up with yours. And this person might actually want to stick very close to that opinion rather than just say, that's eh, not important. Yours is more, you're, I agree with you. Um, and that's when conflict starts. And that's what I find interesting is that the film, it almost starts with his relationship with Samantha starts with this, with the ideal. Yeah. And then realize, and then he realizes, and it's, it'd be possible to view this from a cynical point of view. So I'll try not to, put it that way, but like realizes that there is no such thing as the quote unquote ideal relationship with someone mm-hmm. where literally that person retains their personality 100% and they're completely 100% agreeable to you. Yeah. Like it is not possible. So you can either choose to have a real relationship or acknowledge this person's basically like a butler, mm-hmm. you know, or a servant or something yeah. like that. So like even, you know, I, I was just thinking of uh, Alfred from Batman. Like <laughs> clearly he's not going to quit, you know, he's, the, uh, but he's still, he's still very, he serves master Wayne, mm. but he is also, he also kind of raised him and is still on board with him. But I, re- but then I realized like he still disagrees with him regularly. He does sometimes. So it's like even Alfred, even Alfred, even Alfred is not safe. So, um, and that and that goes, and this goes to one of the things that I love about the movie is that so many opportunities for the film to step wrong or at least do something that we've seen before. It doesn't, it could have made Samantha out to be, if not straight up villainous at the very least, just negative. Yeah. Like after a while it's like, Oh, what happens when this uh, piece of technology gets a little jealous? What happens there? Yeah. And there are moments when, she becomes negative towards him. Like she's never totally positive all the time, right? which makes it, gives it more layers and makes it more interesting. And, but it doesn't just go from good all the way. It's not like just a sliding scale where it starts great and just works its way down to evil. Yeah. Um, and it never really works its way to evil. No. Like whether it's gradual or not, like it never arrives there. She still loves him and still wants to be with him. But she's developing and she's becoming her own, for lack of a better term, person. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and as will happen with any kind of relationship, I'll speak specifically romantically at the moment, like, you know, sometimes your individuality comes in and not everything, and, and you still love this person, but in this particular moment, there are other things that are, not necessarily a higher priority, but there are other things that are preoccupying you mm-hmm. and you still love this person and you still know it. Um, but you find yourself focused on other things at the moment. And I feel like, so in that way, I feel like she's not any, she, she's really no different than if she were an actual like human woman. Yeah. And yet at the same time, it explores something which, is I think further explored in the companion film, which we'll talk about later, but that even though this is, even though she loves him, there is something about love that 
you know, it, it can because this computer can learn and can react in such a way right. that is the same as love. But there's a component of whatever love is, yeah, that can't be created in a laboratory or can't be created in a computer, you know, like yeah. it, there's something about it that exists. That's something that we can't quite hold on to and can't touch and can't quantify in like a scientific way. And that is something that sci-fi has been exploring, you know, yeah. constantly, like yeah. even something like Blade Runner yeah. where it toys with the idea of, okay, if we implant memories into something, into this replicant, mm-hmm. um, Will it – and this has happened with uh, like Dark City and, and uh, that sort of thing. If we implant memories into these people, they will that, – that's who they are now, obviously. Like – and they will react emotionally uh, accordingly. And some films say that that's – that we're more than just a collection of our experiences. There's, there's this X factor as well mm-hmm. called humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there are some who say, no, we are really just a – you know, we are a reaction – to what we've experienced. Mm -hmm. Um, And so even in the world of sci-fi, they haven't really come down one side uh, on one side or the other. But I think most of them would say like, it's like no matter how much we explore, there is something to humanity that we just cannot put our finger on that is uniquely human. Yeah. Um, And I think this is, I think this is one of them. And that's, and that's why though Samantha is a full fledged character, um, you know, uh, there are a lot of people that said uh, Scarlett Johansson should have been nominated for supporting actress. Uh, I say she should have been nominated for lead because she has an arc as well. Yeah. Um, and just the fact that we never see her doesn't mean that we don't have that. Yeah. And so, um, so she is a full fledged character and she has feelings. She has thoughts. She has all of that, but she is always reminding you whether she intends to or not that she is not a, she's not a person like she has not had these experiences and she, there's just something missing. And that's the thing is she continues to grow and evolve and I won't go and I will stop there, but she continues to grow and evolve to the point that people mostly can't. And so that's, that's one of the other things that I love about the film is that it could have gone so far in a certain direction where it just says, there's no difference between this character and people in general. Um, but I, I like that it with sometimes without even stating it just tonally always just holds back just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, man. Yeah. And another thing that I'll go into real quick before we start to move into the themes is, uh, that I know mean, we've been talking about the themes, but I yeah. guess sort of the major thing we want to talk about. Um, uh, I really like plot wise the framing device of the uh, the cards that he writes because mm-hmm. I feel like I really like that the way that kind of encapsulates a lot of the elements of his relationship with with Samantha in that he he is approximating other people's emotions yeah the same way that the OS approximates human emotions mm-hmm. and he lives in a world where the the reality of it is not important as long as it seems to yeah to be the same thing and it seems to come from a place of like he, maybe the reason he's so good uh, the his job is to write what is it called like something handwritten letters basically his job is to yeah, write what is it called is it like personal it, it's not that no beautiful 
Something like that. I don't know. I don't have it in front of me. But um, but his job is to write letters on behalf of somebody to somebody else. They're sort of like Hallmark cards, but they are very personalized. Mm-hmm. And there are some people who have employed his services for years. Yeah. To the point where, like, they've never written a letter between one another. Right. Uh, themselves. Uh, and he, what he does is he takes stuff he knows about them, incorporates that into the letter, and then layers on these sentiments that he feels like should be felt. And in that way, he's not that different than Samantha, like almost to the point of maybe the reason he's so good at it and people do comment how good he is at writing these letters. Maybe the reason he's so good at it is because he so badly wants to feel these things. And somehow uh, there's the confusion of wanting to be this, wanting to feel this is the same as feeling it and convincing yourself of that, you know, and she wants to be, maybe not, maybe doesn't want to be human, but wants to feel human. Yeah. She wants to feel all the things that he feels as a human. So in that same way, she, you know, desperately wants to have these things and then approximates them. Yeah. And like, there is a scene, for example, uh, when the two of them have sex for the first time, (laughs) Well, he's, and that's the thing, like, it's actually a remarkably touching scene. Um, but so he's, you know, basically pleasuring himself while hearing her and she is, I guess, pleasuring herself. Like she seems to have a genuine response to it. But when we think at the very least from a biological standpoint, like sex and like the idea of an orgasm, like there's a chemical reaction to that. But, yeah, and even, and. And even if uh, Samantha, with her vast knowledge of the human body, how it works, and the the idea of what that chemistry will be and the reaction that will happen, and maybe she's approximating that, approximating that, not necessarily faking it, maybe she's genuinely feeling it, but not actually feeling it, because those chemicals, that you know, that chemistry, that chemical reaction that happens in our brains, is not is literally not happening for her. Yeah, and so there is. Though she feels it, though it's a, a, a surprisingly touching moment, like, and a bonding moment between the two of them, like, there is perpetually this feeling of, like, but it's not actually there. It yeah. didn't actually happen. And they try and get it, they try and go further and further and further to make it actually be the same thing. Yeah. And uh, are frustrated with it not being able to get there. Yeah. And is it giving away too much to say? I'll say that they involve a surrogate. Well, I wasn't even going to say that. I was going okay. to say that, and that is one of the things. And I think that maybe is the point when it gets the most at just trying to be real. Yeah. But then I think it gets even to the point where the tables turn, if I can say that. Yeah. I'll just yeah. Yeah, and it's and those scenes are so fascinating and so really well executed. And and I will say, uh, I'll, before we get into the themes, um, we've been talking mostly about character and, and plot and tone and that kind of thing. Uh, I will I, I will say that the acting is first rate. Um, yeah. Joaquin Phoenix is... He's something of a treasure as an actor, and I think maybe we're starting to... T- I think we take him for granted a little bit. Yeah. I love that he's doing this the year after the master. Like, imagine those two characters even living in the same world together. It seems or in the impossible. Same apartment. That's a sitcom. <laughs> oh, I, I want to see. Sitcom. <laughs> We're both would, trying to think of the name, aren't we? No, I just think it wouldn't last because one guy would probably well murder the other guy. Quite probably. Um, Freddie Quell would be like, "Hey, well, what's that phone you got over there?" <laughs> um, so, um, can I eat it? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and just, 
and he's and he's astounding in the master at some point we'll do an episode about the master if i ever feel like i can actually grasp what it's totally about which i think is impossible <laughs> um but uh but yeah he's astounding in that because he plays a character who's just got like no inhibitions and for and the year after he plays a character who's almost nothing but yeah and effectively plays both yeah. you know he's an actor who has a very unique look and so mm-hmm. if you look at his history he has played sort of oddball characters yeah and you could say given the story of theodore twombly and even his name that he's kind of an oddball but he's not like it's a very human a very realistic performance yeah um and so and and one that's completely committed and yeah that's the thing that fascinates me is Yes, I'm sure he was probably hearing Scarlett Johansson, but like he's responding as though there was somebody right there in the room with him. Like, yeah, it, he so sells the reality of the film. We that I it, I had to remind myself that like he's not actually in a room with someone else. He's acting. Yeah, as though that were the case. Like, if you and I were to do a scene right now, we have the benefit of being in the other room. That's something we don't have to fake. Yeah, uh, we uh, being in the same room. Like that's something we don't have to fake. It's mm-hmm. there. Like, that's one thing that we can at least cling to. Yeah. He didn't even have that. Yeah. And if you've ever acted at all, you know the the value of having another actor to play off of. Oh, yeah. And not having that. I mean, at, at the very least, not having the facial reactions. I don't know how they actually technolo- technologically did it. I don't know if yeah. she was there on set to to read the lines with him as they were happening or whether there was actually sound coming out of that device. I don't know how they did it, but yeah. um, we at least know that she was not there looking face to face to him. Right. And he was reacting to her reactions and movements and things like that. Right. And so and that speaks to Scarlett Johansson, who, you know, for I remember like 10 years ago, she was kind of the it actress. Like she was she was up and coming. People like, who, who is this person? And like mm. they're very excited. Uh, and then after a while, I think people, I don't know, Hollywood or just people in general just got a bit like tired of her. Maybe she'd made some like bad, uh, uh, film decisions or whatever. And she just, she kind of fell out of the limelight a little bit. Uh, but something like this reminds you of why she was ever considered a great actress in the first place, because her job is somehow they, both she and Joaquin Phoenix have hard, have hard things to do, but in completely different ways, because what must it be like to play a character who has genuine emotional reactions to things. But of course there's quotes around genuine because yeah. it's, it's always the approximation of something, but the character's genuinely feeling it. Right. Even if the, it is not a real thing. Yeah. And like, how do you even play that? And yeah. maybe she just played it straight, just played it like a real emotion maybe. and just let well, the situation dictate how we would take it. But then there are moments where the OS has to deal with that specific thing that we're, thing that we're talking about of knowing that its reactions are just, yeah, uh, you know, pre-programmed somehow reactions. And I mean, that, that is a sort of thing that, well, I was going to say that's the sort of thing that no human can relate to, but, uh, I guess people can relate to that in a different way in, in, uh, feeling like all of your thoughts or reactions are only, you know, uh, electrical impulses moving, moving between synapses in your brain or something like that. That's not something that, that keeps me awake at night, but I've, you know. Yeah, I'll bet, I'll bet it doesn't. <laughs> pondering, pondering emotional responses does not seem like your uh, 
your bread and butter. No, not po- not pondering emotional responses, but pondering the idea that your emotional responses are just scientific reactions, or basically just chemical reactions happening. And that's something that actually it, it tends to come up in uh, arguments about, uh, or even debates, or just discussions about like uh, God versus whatever. And yeah. you come up with like a con- the concept of love, and people say, "Oh, love is just a." It's just this synapse firing or that or whatever. And part of me is like, yeah, I guess, you know, technically, I guess you're right. Yeah. And, and you know, when you see – and I've seen a number of things that sh- show like brain chemistry as it's happening. Like when somebody like holds the hand of their, you know, husband of 25 years or something like that as opposed to holding the hand of a stranger or something like that. So there is definitely that kind of reaction. Um, but it's like – but and and I will say this part of me when I when I hear that I'll remove the the whole uh, theology aspect of it just from a point just from a certain point of view of like being a human who does have these feelings and part of me is just like why why are you doing this to me it's like <laughs> I thought I was having real feelings I guess I'm not so obviously I have to go on a shooting spree right <laughs> like it's just it does seem like the kind of thing that would drive a number of people insane. <laughs> yeah. But it goes back to that same debate that we were talking about before. That is that, uh, what is, what is real love? Is it just yeah. a scientific thing, which the companion film film, I think deals more specifically with this aspect of it. Yeah. But I think this aspect of it is the same. It's all encapsulated in the same idea. Yeah. Um, that, uh, Scarlett Johansson has to deal with as an actress. Yeah. Um, and then the, the rest of the cast is really great. Um, Amy Adams specifically. Yeah, uh, she is. I, I loved her part in this. Yeah. And she plays a friend of, of Theodore's whose marriage is falling apart. And, uh, and she develops her own relationship with an OS, although this one is mostly a friend, a uh, friendly relationship, yeah. not necessarily a, a romantic one. Yeah. It's for a totally different reason, but still develops kind of the same way. Yeah. Uh, and it becomes clear, like, when Theodore tells people that he's in a relationship with an OS, most of the people are fine with it. And some are they even like, oh, good for you. Yeah. Um, so literally this must happen enough yeah. that people have become accustomed to it. Which is another – not to go too much into this, but that's another thing that I like about the re- the, the development of the future in this world because – the OS that OS comes into existence at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a whole lot of time that can possibly go by between the beginning and the end of the movie. And yet in that time, we're able to go from uh, a thing has just been created yeah. that no one really knows what it is to people are dating that thing and it has become normal. Yeah. And I, it speaks to an, and this idea of futurism that uh, I remember from a book called future shock. That was like a theory book about the future that came out in the seventies, but he talked about this idea of what future shock was. Things would be happening so quickly that people wouldn't be able to adapt to the, to the rate of change. Mm-hmm. So this is a future where the rate of change and the rate of adaptation has ratcheted up. Yeah. So that, that, that society is able to accept a thing that's completely foreign to them as normal in such a short amount of time. Yeah. Which, which certainly mirrors what's happening now. I mean, like think of how quickly like cell phones, like cell phone technology took a while. And then from like, as a technology, it took a while to develop. And then it took a slightly smaller amount of time for everyone to get one. And then from there to smartphone, 
like almost no time at all to the point yeah. where now everyone has them to the even like children at some time yeah. at some point. And so um, and the way people just accept it and then it's like, oh, it's not enough that I, you know, can talk on the phone or check my email. I need to be able to watch videos. I need to be able, like it winds up winds up being they become so accustomed to it that they actually sign, that we kind of demand it. Yeah. Uh, and if, if if a phone does not have these capabilities, we're like, what? What is this? A Stone Age? You know, <laughs> the Stone Age. You know, five years ago. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, and that's the thing is is this idea of an OS that isn't tailored to me specifically and is not like a friend. What is this? And, and <laughs> an OS that I couldn't date if I wanted to. Yeah. And th- and there comes a moment, by the way, when like, uh, and I'll be as vague as possible when. Uh, after hanging out with Samantha for a while, uh, we do see, uh, an example of like the old operating system, which was impersonal and just, and, and it's jarring to hear it and be mm-hmm. like, Oh, right. That's what it was before. Just a very standard automated voice saying, you know, Oh, is this what you meant? And stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, and suddenly it's, it felt like, you know, it, it felt like that in that moment that we, the audience were plunged back into the stone age, you know? <laughs> From an hour and a half ago, when the, when we first started watching the movie, <laughs> suddenly Siri seems like semaphore. <laughs> All right, so we've been going for a while. We should probably move into themes, and this is where uh, this is where the episode's going to break down. Um, because uh, <laughs> I will say, and I said this briefly over at uh, Battleship Pretension when I mentioned that her was my second favorite movie of uh, last year, as it was mine. Really? Uh-huh. Oh, you and I should be best friends. All right. All right. I should warn you that I will make demands of you and I do not want you to put up any, you know, any trouble. All right. I changed my mind. Oh, man. That, Almost had me. That sounds about right. <laughs> um, oddly enough, that little exchange that just happened is kind of a humorous microcosm. Surprisingly germane to what yeah. we're actually talking about. Yeah. And um, so what I'll say is uh, Her is a film that certainly from a artistic standpoint is wonderful. Um but uh, for me personally, it came about at a time in my life uh, where I've really been going through some some weird uh, emotions, specifically in regards to my relationships, uh, whether it be my wife or my friends or, hey, even you, the listeners. Um, and I've been trying to think of why ha- why has this been hitting me now? And I've come up with two possibilities. One is that I'm getting worse. Uh as far as my insecurity and paranoia, that's one option. The other is that I'm getting better, which is to say I'm digging deeper into some of the stuff that I'm dealing with. I'm going to choose to go with that one. Um, I'll agree with you. But, uh, cause we've, cause we've, uh, this started with a, a discussion, not even a discussion, a thought that I had that has since turned into a number of discussions. And it was like a couple months ago, for no particular reason that I'm aware of, I started thinking in terms of uh, person-to-person forgiveness, okay? And I say that as opposed to God's forgiveness of us. Um, and I re- and I had this weird thought that, like, person-to-person forgiveness is, is, is impossible. It, it cannot happen. Uh, people can try, certainly, but what does that even mean? Like, yes, someone will forgive you until you make the same mistake again. And then that forgiveness, though they may say it is that's over. That's not going to happen anymore. Um, and then that quickly led to, uh, 
a phrase that is a punchline in the movie Superbad, but it has become a uh, deeply disturbing sentiment that has been repeating in my brain, and it's that uh, people don't forget. Um, if you've made a mistake, if you've said something hurtful or whatever, uh, people don't forget. Yes, they may forgive you, but they don't forget. And and, and really, like for somebody like myself, I want people to forget. That's the only that's the only acceptable thing for like if I've said something hurtful to someone because in my mind, every time they see me, if they're forgiving but not forgetting, then in my mind, every time they see me, they're thinking of the thing that I said. Um, or at least it's it's in there somewhere. So it started with that and then it quickly turned into just something that became almost panic-inducing, which is this idea of uh, dealing with some trust issues. That's that's putting it very mildly and just just realizing that like people are always going to let you down, uh, that people are imperfect, which is something that of course I acknowledge, everyone acknowledges, but just like, yeah, but what does that mean, imperfect? And it's like, well – tying this in with my forgiveness thing, it means that people have only a limited capacity to forgive and put up with me. And it's only a matter of time before this person, when, when I, before I reach out to somebody and they let me down for whatever reason, perhaps they're unable to help me with the thing that I need, or perhaps they're unwilling to help me with the thing that I need, uh, or want, uh, and that either one of those was to me terrifying. So, uh, so I found myself getting really jaded and angry, but more than anything, really fearful. Um, and then I went and saw her. <laughs> now I recognize that what we've mostly been talking about is, uh, loneliness and that kind of thing. Um, what I mostly got out of her, certainly there's the technology thing, which is a huge theme. But oddly enough, I think I think the film delves further than that uh, to something that is, uh, I think, specifically very human and that I think is fairly universal, which is like how scary it can be to be dependent in some capacity on another person. It could be a friend, it could be a spouse, it could be anybody. Uh, because when you're dependent on somebody or if you're vulnerable to somebody, that there's always the possibility. Now, if I'm feeling pessimistic, I'll say it's like a 50-50 shot that they will completely <laughs> let you down. <laughs> That's probably not the case. Um, <laughs> people will make the effort. but uh, And just how scary it is. And so it's worth noting that Theodore in the film was married at one point and then had a pretty rough divorce mm -hmm. that he does not, that he is not getting over. Yeah. You know, and admittedly it sounds like it'd be a very hard thing to get over, mm -hmm. especially when things were as good and ended as bad as, yeah. as they did. Cause we see so many flashbacks to how happy he was. Yeah. And, yeah. And so, uh, so one of the reasons, so he's very lonely, but he's also very heartbroken and very dejected. And I think deeply, deeply wounded by opening up to this person as much as, as he possibly could and feeling, and certainly when things were doing well, feeling like this is, 
the best thing. Nothing could go wrong. Certainly not with this. Um, only to find that not only did things go wrong, but this thing ceased to exist. And so it's one thing when the character is merely lonely, not that that's any small thing, but he, when he's merely lonely and then turns to the, his operating system, it's quite another when he has opened himself up to another person in a way that he probably never has before and then has been horribly let down. And then suddenly here we have, as you mentioned, an, another person who is not going to fight back mm-hmm. ostensibly. Uh, eventually he determined he realizes that is not the case, but, uh, the appeal of, all right, I, I don't have to engage with people anymore because when it comes right down to it, yes, the, the operating system will, you know, talk back to him, but when it comes down to it, he can just turn off his phone. He can remove his earpiece. He is in control. Though, you know, though he is in love with Samantha and Samantha does have her own opinions and stuff, uh, and it would still hurt him to have her speak against him in some way or be insulting or whatever. Um, he still has control of the relationship and that is, that is something that I think everybody can relate to. Certainly I, I can this desire to like certainly i don't necessarily want to control my friends or my relationships but that is what is implied by just how nervous i am that i'm depending on somebody with their own free will Hmm. um and because uh what was it i think you and i have talked about and i think i've talked about on the show before maybe during my testimony um this feeling of like i'm so to me there is nothing worse than being taken by surprise when you discover that someone doesn't like you or something, um, there's nothing worse. Like I I cannot to this, I can't, I can't imagine anything. Then you think things are going well Mm. and you couldn't be more wrong because when you think things are going well, you're letting down your guard. Mm -hmm. You're being like, Oh, finally I can breathe. And then you discover that's not the case. Yeah. So it's it's not only that you're suddenly not in control. That's part of it, Mm -hmm. but it's that, you you are being judged and you have been being judged and you opened yourself up to yeah. someone who was judging you the whole time. Yeah. And as you said, like with Theodore, like Samantha is not – she never really judges him. No, Would you true. say that's true? Yeah. Like she may disagree with him, but she never – judges him even if there are moments when she feels like she is greater than him in some way she's she doesn't judge him yeah and so compared to the one scene that we the one current you know present scene that we see with his wife where she immediately judges him oh yeah uh you know violently yeah um and and just the feeling of like woundedness and just wanting to like in that scene, I just wanted him to get away to just run away from this woman yeah. um, and get back into the loving quote unquote arms of Samantha. <laughs> um, and it's just, and that's the thing is like, that is a good example of like fantasy versus reality. Fantasy in this case, Samantha is a very comforting thing that will not judge you. Reality. Sometimes you're going to be judged and it's not going to feel good. Yeah. And it's for somebody like myself, 
It's very scary. I mean, I'm I'm operating. Okay, I'm sure I've said it on the show before. It's the fifty one forty nine. I am of the opinion that the vast majority of the people that know me, including yes, you, the listener, you are fifty one percent on board with me, forty nine percent against, and all I have to do is say one wrong one wrong thing, and it's going to click over. Um, and, uh, that is, uh, very scary to me. And there are times when I feel the need to disengage. There are times when I feel like, all right, so like if a, fr- if a friend becomes in my eyes a little shaky, part of me's like, all right, I have other friends. I can just mm-hmm. cut this person off before they cut me off. And that's, that is Theodore. Yeah. And even if you don't feel it as strongly as, as strongly as a 5149, even if you to any degree feel that sense that there, there are people who may not like you as much as they feel, you feel like they should even like that. That's probably like the, the least amount of that sort of sentiment that you can have. But I think even if you have that little bit of that sentiment, it can still lead to that same desire to disconnect yourself or to replace reality with fantasy yeah and it's that and that's the thing because you cannot literally control other people the only option you are left with is to disengage sometimes that could just mean emotionally where it's like all right i will and i wish i could say i am not guilty of this but that that would not be true where it's like all right i'm going to continue hanging out with this person but i am now making the conscious effort I've, i've now made the conscious choice I'm going to hold back. I am not going to be mm-hmm. as honest as I should be uh, about how I am doing because I do not trust them and I do not think they would uh, treat that information with respect. Yeah. I have been that person and mm-hmm. it does not feel good, especially mm-hmm. when you're hanging out with when you're hanging out with that person and like you you feel a natural impulse to want to be open and then you stop yourself because you're like, no, this, I know how this is going to go. Yeah. Even if there's no historical evidence that it's going to go that yeah, way. Because you're thinking of it in terms of like, a, like a safety net. Yeah. And if the reality that you, that you have created for yourself is that straying away from this is doing the dangerous thing, mm-hmm. then you've created a world in your head where it is more sensible to not do that thing. Yeah. If you're thinking of it in terms of safety, like uh, imagine to transpose that into physical reality safety, like you, you're you're going from let's go with the safety net, net analogy. You're going from walking on a tightrope without a safety or with a safety net to taking the safety net away. It's a stupid thing. It's not a smart thing to do. Yeah. So if when that's the way that you think about it, it's it's the it's the logical conclusion. It's the natural conclusion. It's what makes sense. Yeah, and it's just and so. Th- you know, to, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, I already have, but I don't want to delve too much, you know, into me and where I am. But like, that is, that is why her hit me so much. And, mm. and I can't go into the ending, unfortunately, but mm. it ends with, with him making an attempt at uh, reconnecting with people in some, in some way. It's very, yeah. it's very vague and very brief, but, um, and yeah. Yeah, we feel like we need to talk about it off mic. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, uh, but yeah, and so um, it's something that uh, over the last, and I don't know what it is about the last couple months. I don't know, like, uh, I don't know, maybe Christmas did something to me, but Mm -hmm. I can't imagine what. Um, But uh, just this, 
it really is. I mean, I've described it as like depressing. I've described it as like terrifying and terrifying is the word. It is really, it's really awful living like this. And it's really been, and just feeling like that combined with, like I said, the forgiveness isn't possible. People don't forget. It's like, it's just constantly looking at your watch, feeling like if I say a joke that doesn't land, if I, you know, if I, say something that's mildly insulting, but, and I, and I didn't mean to like, you wind up watching every word you say, and I'm saying, you know, you should always be careful with your words. That's fine. But like you wind up watching every word you say, always, you know, rereading every email, every text you send, Mm. um, because you're just so sure that this person is just moments away, just almost like they're looking for an excuse. (laughs) Uh, and, and so, um, and part of me is that, is that idea of like, I will, I will run away before they get a chance to, and then I at least have some kind of excuse. There's a, there's a, there's a certain degree of empowerment in that, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. it's rather, uh, rather humorous episode of Seinfeld where George senses that his girlfriend is going to break up with him. So he breaks up with her first (laughs) and his whole thing. And like this concept is so fascinating to him that even as he's breaking up with her, he goes, that's right. I am breaking up with you. And just, and of course it's viewed as selfish and ridiculous. Uh, but it's it, boy, it made a lot of sense to me at the time. Well, and still and it, now, it's funny because it connects to a real sentiment. I mean, yeah, like that's the funny because it's true sort of thing. There, there, there is that sentiment of in all relationships are when we allow ourselves to uh, to think of it uh, as something that's serving us, especially when we do that. Then, if there seems to be any kind of negativity to it, the 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 impulse to get away from it becomes so much stronger. Yeah. Um and yeah, which is is what he does to a comic degree there. Yeah. And I <laughs> um, will actually use that idea of, you know, getting away from something and I will incorporate our uh, companion film mm-hmm. which also has a vague uh well it certainly has something of a Spike Jones connection mm-hmm. to it and it's uh Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Directed by Michelle Gondry and uh, written by Charlie Kaufman. Charlie Kaufman uh, was a frequent collaborator with uh, Spike Jones. Maybe not frequent. I think I guess there's only twice. It's really only two, but it seems like such a yeah. uh, because those movies are so we're, we're both good and are so iconic in some way. They, they seem more. I don't know. Seems more potent somehow. Yeah, and uh, Charlie Kaufman. Uh, one best original screenplay for Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind came out at this point 10 years ago, which is crazy to think. Mm-hmm. Uh, it starred uh, Jim Carrey, Kate Winslet, Elijah Wood, Mark Ruffalo, Kirsten Dunst, Tom Wilkinson. Really great cast. Yeah. Um, it was one of my favorite movies of that year, if not in, if not my favorite movie of that year. I'd have to go back and look. Um, or you can find me on Letterboxd. Hey, there you go. Um, but uh, – and it's basically about this uh, relationship between Jim Carrey and uh, Kate Winslet in which um, it's rather contentious and then – and she's rather impulsive. And then he discovers one day that she – they I don't think they've officially broken up, but they've had a really terrible fight. And then he discovers that she went to this business that – and this is where the sci-fi element comes in a little bit – this business that – 
goes in, pinpoints physically and chemically, pinpoint, pinpoints your memories of a specific person or a specific event mm. uh, in your brain and then destroys that, uh, saying that the process is on par with a night of heavy drinking. <laughs> um, and so she went in and had him erased from her memory. Because And so he decides, well, two can play at this game. <laughs> and uh, so he goes in to have her erased. And as it is happening, uh, we go inside his mind and we, we're inside his memories. And he d- discovers, much to his surprise, not every memory is a negative one. Uh, some of them are these wonderful, you know, lovely memories. Uh, and he would... And he would rather he would he would put he, like by the end of the film he's willing to he'd be willing to put up with the negative uh, in order to retain the positive. Yeah. Re- regardless of what happens eventually with their relationship, yeah. um, it's it's as if he suddenly realizes what he is losing by by doing this. Right, and I feel like that's something. That uh, and I, I don't want to go into a whole lot of detail about the film itself because we've been going for a while and most and a lot of people have seen it at this point. If you have not get gotten the opportunity to see Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind, seek it out. It's a wonderful, nuanced, yeah. brilliant film. You're a fan of it, I assume. Yes, right? I'm a big fan of it. Yeah. Um. And uh, and it, it has the added pleasure of uh. Whimsical Michelle Gondry mm-hmm. uh, choosing to use as few vis- uh, CG special effects as possible and choosing to do as much stuff practically as possible, mm-hmm. which really makes the film – gives it kind of a trippy feel to it. Yeah, well, that's one of the reasons it stands out. I feel like if someone else had made this film and just used CG effects for all of that, yeah. you, you might be like, mm, yeah. Yeah. You might be like, that was kind of goofy. Um, But yeah, it, it does in, – in a – very similarly eloquent way deal with these same kind of issues about um, human relationships and the inherent problems that come in human relationships. And uh, because even kind of back to what you were saying earlier about um, feeling like it's 50 50 that, that people will fail you. And I I almost feel like you could take it further and say, it's a hundred percent likely that people at some point will fail you, you know? Um, and that's a lot of what both of these films are about are that relationships are great, but there, there are going to be problems in them and moments when they will be terrible, terrible enough that you will want to erase someone from your memory, yeah. uh, terrible enough that you'll want to never see that person again in your life. Um, those are both things that, that, uh, Joel Barish, uh, uh, Jim Carrey's, I remember Joel Barish, but not Jim yeah, Carrey. That, that was weird. Um, inverse there. Um, but uh, some that that character deals with in Eternal Sunshine and that Theodore Twombly deals with in yeah. her. Um, and so they both take – it is weird, the connections between these two movies. Um, but the, they both go to a scientific sci-fi option, yeah. which is meant to fix that thing. In one place, it's to – uh, medicate it and the other other it's to replace it both in a kind of in in a scientific way but both of them finding out that that it it doesn't work as simply as it should right because relationships and uh 
and intimacy don't work as easily as some chemical formula. Yeah. And it's, and in, in, in both cases, like you said, it's, it's somebody willing to disengage now with Theodore, it's wanting to disengage in the present, but Mm -hmm. with, uh, Joel and Clementine, it's wanting to disengage, not merely with the present, but with (laughs) the past. Like that is how much they feel hurt. Yeah. Uh, is wanting to act, uh, acting as though they wish this person, that's the thing. It's not merely that I wish we'd never met because if you erase somebody from your memory, it's not merely that you haven't met. It's that they never existed. Yeah. You wish this person (laughs) ostensibly, you know, for you never existed. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a pretty major thing, but I'll tell you, I get it. Mm. I absolutely get it. Just this feeling of, of, you know, I mean, I, you know, you're, you're married and, and like, we won't go into a lot of detail, but I like, you know, I, there have been times when I've heard about like the fights that you've had with your wife and you've heard about the fights that I've had with my wife, like every, every couple of fights that happens, but like, you know, I tend to be particularly devastated by a fight. Uh, (laughs) I'm devastated by a disagreement, but, um, but, uh, to the point where I'm just, I'm so, Sometimes I'm angry, but other times it's just, I feel like I just need to, to get away. I feel almost betrayed. Yeah. And betrayal is a, you know, according to the general's daughter, 1999, it's worse than rape. There's a scene in there. Why did we go there? (laughs) Because it's, because it was a movie that I really liked at the time. And there's a scene where a character, where John Travolta's character is talking about talking to uh, creepy James Woods, um, which is to say James Woods, pardon me. Um, and saying like, long live the new flesh. That's, that's him. Uh, and so, uh, and he's, he's trying to get information about what happened to this person. And he says, uh, he says, was it this? And, and James Woods says it's worse. And he goes, was it this? It's worse. And he's like, was it rape? And he goes worse. And he says, what's worse than rape? And then it turns out spoilers, uh, betrayal, betrayal, which, from a physical standpoint, I don't agree with. From an emotional standpoint, I get it. I see. Um, this feeling that you trust this person a lot mm-hmm. and you should not have. Yeah. But, oh, sorry. Pardon me. That you trust this person and that they let you down either willingly or unwillingly. And thus you make the jump, as I just did, mm-hmm. that you should not have trusted this person in the first place. Yeah. Um, and that's really, I mean, that gets to the, that gets to eternal sunshine right there. Yeah. I wish it's like, it's not merely this person hurt me now, uh, or that I put trust in them and they let me down. I never should have loved them in the first right. place. I wish that this had never happened because yeah. it wasn't worth it. Yeah. I would be better off had this not happened. Yeah. And undoubtedly there are some relationships where we probably would be better off if they had not happened. Like there are some people that are just toxic yeah, um, and, and abusive and that sort of thing. So that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just like dealing with regular people, you yeah. know? Um, and so in both, in both instances, like Josh said, in both instances, there seems to be a very simple, a very simple fix to this issue uh, that the characters pursue, but it is not, simple because you know uh theodore discovers that samantha is much more nuanced and complex than he originally thought um while also still not being exactly like a person 
Uh, and then Joel discovers that uh, there was some good stuff in here too. You know, I'd be I would be cutting off a lot of stuff, a lot of good stuff to get rid of that negative stuff. Um, and so that is where we. So where are we? If we cannot, if it is viewed as a negative thing uh, to try so desperately to escape the inevitability that people are going to fail you in some way, and that you're going to fail others. Uh, which is a, another episode. Um, the uh, another episode about the same material, by the way. Um, <laughs> then what are we left with? Hmm. Now, <laughs> that question, "What are we left with?" That is what has been causing me tremendous despair hmm. over the last. Uh, I went from terror to despair. It's usually one or the other. Um, it's like, what am I left with? It's like, oh, I guess I'm just left with the. I guess I'm just left with this crap. Uh, I was about to swear, everybody. Well done. Um, it's like where I'm just constantly worried. It's like, because now I'm just waiting, but there's nothing I can do about it. I can't get away from it because that's not an option. So I guess I just have to deal with it and just wait for it to happen. Like it's really where other people would view it as like, Hey, you know, that's the way life is. People aren't perfect. They're going to let you down. It's just going to happen. You can't run away from it. So like other people would view that as the beginning of freedom. I view it as the worst thing. And it's because I think uh, I've had a hard time lately, uh, as I've told you off mic, I've had a hard time uh, feeling God and uh, Christians are very quick to talk about uh, feelings aren't the most important thing. Knowing something is more important. There are times when I don't feel like I love my wife, but I do, but I know it. And so sometimes that's what needs to get you through. Um, but lately I haven't really been feeling God and I, and I tend not to feel God, um, God's presence or God's love. I tend to, it tends to be mostly an intellectual exercise for me. Um, but there are times when it does happen and it's been, a, been a bit of a dry spell. Um, and, but when I have felt God, I almost never feel like he is, uh, on board with me, uh, or that I feel, I don't often feel like I can, trust him. Uh, I do, oddly enough, I do believe and I do feel that God's forgiveness is a real thing. And a, because like I said, it's not possible for people because people are limited. God is unlimited and thus he has an unlimited capacity to absorb pain and still churn love out. Mm. So, uh, so that oddly enough doesn't bother me, but it's really just this feeling of like God not being good enough. Like certainly I don't feel him, but like even when I do feeling like, yes, yes, God loves me, but then what, what if everybody else hates me? You know? Um, and indeed if I was able to feel as though God's love were, was good enough and that God's acceptance of me and redemption of me was good enough. There would be the freedom that I was talking about before where people, you know, when people say, Hey, people aren't perfect. What are you going to do? Like they feel freedom in that. I don't. But if I said, God loves me and that's enough, God accepts me. Even if all my friends 
even when all my friends will turn their back on me. Um, that would be freeing if I felt if, the, if the, th- that was a very real thing to me. Mm-hmm. And in, you know, I've been very honest so far. I will, I'll continue being honest and say that at the moment, that is not a real thing to me right now. I'm way too emotionally dependent on the people around me. And it is, uh, okay. It is not working out, not because of them. Sometimes not because of anything, not because they're bad friends or, or, you know, my wife is a bad wife or anything, but because they're people and people are flawed and they can't, you know, they can't keep all the uh, they can't keep all the emotional plate spinning that is Tyler Smith, um, and so uh, so therein lay my quandary. And like I used to think I could disengage and that'd be good, and then I saw her, realized I can't do that, and and I, it really depressed me. <laughs> and so so that's where I am, Josh. Fix me. All right. All right. What do, what do you got? I did it. Oh, oh yeah. my. Don't you feel All better? Right. I was wondering why, why you waved your hand like that, like Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do have uh, a number of, I do have a number of uh, quotes here. Um, but I actually am not going to read most of them. Um, I think I will stick to these uh I think I will stick to these uh, Bible verses on the second page there. Uh, Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. What I do like about that is it does immediately associate the two. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's – I'll move on from there. Um, I like this one. 2 Timothy 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now, in this case, I will say uh, there's a couple different ways to interpret this. One could say faithless as if someone, as though someone does not have faith, like someone literally does not believe in God, is not mm-hmm. following God, is not trying to do anything like that. Um, and that God, God is faithful to them anyway, and someone could look at a verse like that and say, well, clearly, I don't even need to be a Christian to be saved. Like, <laughs> you could interpret that way. I, uh, but I will say the rest of the Bible is contradicting that interpretation. Yeah. Um, what I would, what I take it to mean is that even when there are moments when we are not faithful to God, either through like sin or doubt or just as I'm, as I'm feeling right now, like I don't feel connected with God and I don't feel like He's enough. Um, like God is bigger than my feelings, and He knows. You know, uh, there's a line in the movie Insomnia where Hillary Swank says to Al Pacino, I know that you're a good man, even if you don't like God knows that I am trying to follow him and Mm -hmm. I'm trying to have faith uh, in him. And sometimes it's just not working out because of human frailty. Yeah. But that does not affect his faithfulness to me. Yeah. Um, And that is a statement like. That that's exactly the opposite of my concern of other with other people. That's mm-hmm. if I you know 
like if I uh, wasn't a good friend to you or any of my other friends, that it's only a matter of time before they're like, all right, this is this is no longer worth it. Uh, he's he's faithless to me as a friend, and thus I will not be faithful to him. Th- like God is saying, that is not how I am. I do yeah. not work like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's there are so many passages in the Bible that are so comforting in that way because it, sh- it shows us that God does not act the way that people do. People do, mm-hmm. um, which. I don't know, can mean a lot for, for us, especially when we deal with issues like this, like, like fearing the way that people will judge us or treat us badly or, um, you know, any number of things that negative things that can come from interpersonal relationships. Um, and I will, I'll read a couple real quick. This is Matthew 24 verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. That's Jesus speaking. Um, and, uh, you know, I think focusing, as I did earlier in talking about forgiveness, focusing on the limitlessness of God, I think, is helpful for me. Um, The idea that, you know, because ultimately what I'm saying is like, yes, yes, God loves me, but now what? But do people love me? Because if people don't love me and God loves me, then who cares? Uh, And by emphasizing, like, you know, heaven and earth will pass away, like, as valuable as my friends are, as valuable as relationships are, like those people, whether they love me or not, they will pass away. Mm-hmm. Um, but God will not. And so in a sense, how like it, I almost I always jump to guilt when I when I say what I'm about to say. But like, how am I valuing something that will last 80 years over something that is literally forever? Like, mm-hmm. how do I do that? Yeah. Um and it's hard not to. I mean, that's yeah. the, any earthly things that we become attached to. It's because it's much easier to see the earthly benefits or to feel the empty, the, the earthly benefits. Yeah. <laughs> I said empty benefits. Yeah. Uh, hey, yeah. Well, Freudian slip there. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, and that's one of those things, like you talked about earlier, the, the distinction between knowing something and feeling something. And that's one of those things. It's a lot easier to know than it is to feel. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot easier to be able to say that and believe it in your head than it is to experience it in your heart. Um, I will mention, uh, Psalm 136 verses 23 and 24. Uh, and if you read Psalm 136, you will find a phrase that repeats. It repeats here. Uh, he remembered us in our low estate. His love endures forever and freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. Uh, the phrase is his love endures forever. Um, again, perhaps one of the reasons that it's hard for me to, and, and people in general to accept this is that we don't have a concept of forever. Mm. We think of it as a really long time. Yeah. Uh, and so, whereas I know what a day feels like, I know what a week, a month, a year feels like. Um, and so we will value that, that we, that which we understand over that, which we don't, um, not merely understand, but have also experienced, and so, uh, so the idea of God's love enduring forever, it's like, oh, that's neat. You said a bunch of stuff that has no practical application in my life, as opposed to if you were to say, Tyler, I hate you right now. I'd be like, got it. I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go uh, sleep for a week. Um, yeah, I know exactly what that means for my life. Whereas something like God's love endures forever is something that it's hard to fi- think of what that means for our life. Yeah. And Probably most specifically because we don't, we are not able to grasp an idea of anything being forever. Um, because 
which goes back to something that you were saying at the beginning of the show, which is uh, that people have limits mm-hmm. and God doesn't have limits. And it's hard for us to understand. I, I think we can't understand what it means for something to not have limits. Right. Um, uh, that's one thing that's always fascinated and kind of terrified me at the same time, the idea of something being infinite or limitless. And you remember like back when, I don't know if you ever heard this when you were a, a kid, when people would talk about uh, like how long God's been around and they say, you know, oh, he's been around forever and like, like infinity. And you're like, well, how long is that? And people would say like <laughs> this, this specific one sticks in my mind because it's so stupid when I think about it now. It was like, well, imagine there's a, there's like a, a concrete block the size of the ocean and there's a bird that's pecking at it it would take longer than it takes for that bird to peck through that concrete peck up that entire concrete block infinity is longer than eternity is longer than that yeah but that bird will eventually get there right right like that's finite that's still a limited thing and the, the the idea of trying to explain infinity in terms of time is yeah nonsense yeah um that's a whole other thing, but, uh, sorry, I shouldn't go off that route trail, but the, um, you were talking before about people having limits and God not having limits is something that it's very hard for us to grasp. And so it's hard for us to experience God's love as big as it is because we are thinking of things in terms of limits because that's the way that we know things. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, the idea struck me when I was talking about it, uh, earlier in the episode, but I hadn't really thought of it before is that the desire that, uh, the, the joy that, or the, the, I guess the appeal that Theodore sees in confiding in Samantha and in being intimate and open with Samantha is that idea of an unlimited love Mm -hmm. and unlimited acceptance. Yeah. And that is, what we get from God. Mm-hmm. And that's that there's a reason that people desire that because that's part of the way we're built because that's part of the way that God created us. He created us desiring him, desiring that unlimited relationship, that relationship that we know that I, I shouldn't say we know, but that relationship that in reality is, is not going to judge us is never can can it can never be that fifty one forty nine thing? Yeah. And so, um, I will mention real quick. Uh, there is a book I was looking for the the passage, but I couldn't find it. But I know it's in there somewhere. It might actually be more than a passage. It could be. It's basically what runs throughout the entire book. But there's a book called The Marriage Builder. I'm sure I've mentioned it before. Um, it's written by a guy named Larry Crab. Um, I will tell everyone as a book. It is cold. And a little unfeeling. And if you are in the throes of uh, depression as you read it, you will only find it devastating. But uh, <laughs> if you think back on it, uh, when you're not in the throes of depression, you will realize that there's a lot of good ideas in there. Uh, and one of them – now, this is only in ter- – it speaks only in terms of marriage, but it can go towards anything, which is if you find your identity in God, you actually cut other people a lot more slack mm. because – you know, if I were to find my identity in you, Josh Long, there's Oof, a lot of problems with don't that. Don't do that. But if I were to do that, it's like, all right, I am only a good person or I'm only an acceptable person as long as Josh wants to hang out with me. Well, the day may come when Josh 
you know, like he's had a, a long day of work and he doesn't feel like putting up with me. Um, or he's working and he literally cannot. Then if my identity is built, I'm, by the way, I'm using Josh cause he's here. All right. <laughs> Obviously my wife is the easier one to use. Uh, but, uh, but like if I already find my identity in your desire to hang out with me, then who am I when you can't or don't want to hang out with me? Nobody. I'm not, I'm nobody. And so suddenly I'll put a lot more pressure on you to hang out with me. I'll probably guilt you into hanging out with me because anything to get that identity, it doesn't matter how I get it. Um, and it really winds up being a function of control. Yeah. Um, whereas if I find my identity in God, somebody that we've already described his love endures forever. He is limitless. I can turn to God and he will never not be there. Sometimes he will not give me the things I think I want. Um, and there are times when, you know, your life does not go well, sometimes devastatingly so. Um, and you feel like God has turned his back on you. That'll happen. Certainly. Um, those moments, not that God has turned his back on you. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, but God's commitment to you and his love and forgiveness of you is always there. And so if you find your identity literally in something that's never going away, then when it comes to my relationship with Josh and there comes a day when I want to hang out and he can't, it's just like, Oh, that's too bad. I guess I still have God. I'm not, I probably (laughs) would not say that out loud to myself uh, or even think it. But it's like the idea of, uh, you know, uh, you mentioned stuff from when you were a kid, you know, um, the song admittedly based on a Bible verse, but like the wise man who built his house upon the rock and then the man who built his, uh, house on sand. And Mm -hmm. like, you know, if you, if you do that, like the sand, it's shifting, it's always, it's always changing and it's just not a firm foundation. So if I put my found, like if I if I build my house on people and that's the thing, I don't mean to crap on people Mm. and just say, everyone's terrible. (laughs) They are. Don't get me wrong. Um, that was a joke. Uh, but what I will say is they can be, Mm. people can be terrible. They can let you down. I'm not even going to say they will, but they can. And then eventually they will at some point, but it's not always the case. Um, and so like, Whereas, and so like that sand, you know, God is the rock. It's not, he certainly, that's not, I'm not the first person to make that comparison, by the way. (laughs) Um, and so, uh, so really what, what I wound up getting out of her and out of eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, and just having seen this movie at this point in my life, it's, I've really had to come, I've, I've had to come face to face with with humanity and how flawed humanity is, including me, um, and how, how it's going, it's going to be complicated when dealing with people and depending on people and being vulnerable to them. Um, and that is the kind of thing that could destroy a person if we didn't have God. Mm -hmm. Now, even though I've, even though I believe everything that I've just said, and I'm coming away from this feeling a little bit more encouraged, I will say that come tomorrow or the next day, I could go right back to where I was feeling like my friends are going to let me down. And if they're going to let me down, then I might as well not fully commit. Um, 
I am currently uh, in my life in the process of not being fully committed to three people. And the fact that I know that so specifically speaks to just how not great I'm doing at the moment. Um, and so uh, I did not expect to get that, that specific here at the end of the episode. Um, but yeah, and so this is something that, uh, you know, I don't actually put this out to listeners very much, but uh, I guess I will. Uh, listeners, if you felt like praying for me about this, that I am able to uh, literally get to a point where God is enough. And when it comes right down to it, this is my issue. Everybody has an issue where God should be enough and isn't. It's mm-hmm. this other thing yeah. that they would rather have. So yeah. I'm not, this is just mine. Mm. Um, it could be anything. Yeah. Uh, but uh but yeah, so if you if you felt like praying for me about that, I would really appreciate it. Uh, and in the meantime, I just felt like being uh, felt like being honest. And uh, in this in further spirit of uh, full disclosure, I will say that uh, there was a, a brief uh, inkling in my mind of recording this episode alone because I didn't uh, want Josh to be here for this very uh, for these very personal and awkward things, which I don't. I tend not to do put out there that much on the show. Um, but yes, but thankfully Josh, uh, fought me on that. And, uh, and I think that's probably for the best. Mm. So, um, anyway, so I've been talking a good, a good portion of the last half hour. Um, do you have anything to contribute? Not to imply you haven't contributed, but like, yeah, do you have yeah. anything personally or otherwise to contribute to this? Um, the, the only thing I was going to say, which I think builds on what you were saying. And I, you know, I agree with, with, most of what you were saying about, uh, I think I, we've talked a little bit both about the the difficulty of of human relationships and the risk and all that stuff involved, um, and I think to build on that a little bit, I think something that we see um, something that we see expressed in these films. And that I think we learn from the Bible also is that there is a value in these relationships, even though they may be terrible and even though they may seem worthless, they may seem like it would have been better to, to cut them out as if mm-hmm. they never existed. Um, and both of the films seem to say there's still something, there's still something good to human relationships. There's, it's important somehow. Yeah. Um, and I think the Bible agrees with that and would echo that. And I guess sort of leads to a question of, well, why? Like, what is it that makes it worth that? And I think the films kind of say, we don't know. Yeah. Say there's something, undeniably, there's something better about it. There's something good about it. And there's something that we can't, maybe that we can't even understand about it. Um. And I think the Christian answer to that is that the value that we're seeing in those things is love. And we believe that God is love and that love comes from God. And there is a benefit in uh, – I, I guess I should say it, it is that – the reason we can't understand and the reason that films can't really explain it is because it is that limitless thing that we've been talking about. It's yeah. something bigger than what we can understand. It's something, you know, 
unfathomable, I guess. And so that's one of the hopes in Christianity and one of the joys in Christianity is that God provides what that thing is. Um, God provides that desire that we all want. And it, it is even the love between people is something that comes from God. And the reason that's that we can't explain why that's good is because it is that thing that's bigger than us. It is the thing that's that uh, we can never totally understand. And, you know, it's interesting. The, uh, what you were saying uh, struck me a certain way, and it's the idea, the idea of why. Why is this a good thing? Mm-hmm. And from a Christian standpoint, we could view it as dealing with other people. And I recognize I just phrased that as though it were a hassle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll say relating to other people as opposed to just a thing to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not in the mob. <laughs> um, well, some of us are, but nobody in this room. Right. Um, <laughs> of course not. <laughs> of course you go. See, I was, I was, uh, I was going to go Chicago mob and you went to New York. Um, but, uh, so the question is why? And from a Christian standpoint, it could be that when we relate to somebody, God is inherently relational. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, Sorry, I'm thinking of this now, so I'm trying to make sure I've got the right words. So in relating to another person, whether it be a spouse, a friend, an acquaintance, a coworker, a total stranger, or one could even say an enemy. Sorry to put it in those terms. We tend not to think in terms of enemies. I've got like eight. <laughs> um, but uh, that one's a joke, by the way. I don't, to my knowledge, have any enemies. <laughs> there are people that I have not gotten along with in the past, but I don't count them as an enemy. There is one guy that I might count as, but I haven't talked to him in a long time. Um, So uh, in relating to these people, the reason why that is a good thing is that it is an opportunity to demonstrate God's love to them. Yeah. And in, in a few different ways, like one is this person is going through a rough time and this person is in many ways... I'm sorry to put it in in these terms. I don't, uh, I will trust that you guys know what I mean. This person is according to society's to society standards, unlovable. Mm -hmm. They are socially awkward. They are occasionally hurtful. They are in many, one could look at them and say they are irredeemable, but I'm going to love them nonetheless. And I will show tremendous patience, but I will also extend myself as far as I can. And that is a thing that God does for us. Yeah. We are regularly unlovable. And even even those of us who are the most socially acceptable in the world, but compared to God, of course, we're we're you know, crap. We're we're pretty stained. Um to filthy use, rags, if you will. Filthy if rags. Will. One could say that <laughs> if one were so inclined. Um so that's one thing. And then the other thing is let's say so that's one way that we demonstrate God's love. Another is um, if somebody lets us down, then we can forgive them. And that is another aspect of God's love. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's these ways that then we get to show God to other people. We get to, to, um, extend God's love to other people. And at the same time that we're doing those things, we are able to understand a little bit more of what God does for us. 
Right. Because that's the other side is if I screw up something and then somebody else forgives me, yes, it is hard for me to accept other people's forgiveness. But that is rather than just view ourselves like, well, I'm an emissary for God here. It's like, (laughs) yeah, and sometimes you're going to mess up and be reminded that you're human and someone will forgive you, hopefully. Yeah. And then you're reminded, oh, this is the other part of God. Right that uh, I tend to forget when I'm acting as his agent. And and when you are when you have to extend love to somebody who has done something wrong to you and realize how difficult that is when you if you spend any time thinking about or meditating on how uh, God has extended that same love to you when what you've done is infinitely worse. Um, and what he's giving you is infinitely more than you're able even to give to this other person. Because like I said, we are, like we've talked about, we are limited that I think can help to grow our idea of how great God is and how, how massive and how important his love is. And perhaps that's, that's one of the reasons why this idea of a person never being truly able to forgive another person, maybe that's why that has really kind of taken my emotions by storm is because of what it represents. And while I do acknowledge that God is limitless and thus has an infinite capacity for forgiveness, I guess maybe part of me worries that if I were to genuinely accept as fact that people cannot forgive one another, maybe part of me is starting to lose a certain degree of faith in the institution and the concept of forgiveness Mm -hmm. at that point. I don't think I'm there just yet, but like it's a, that's a shaky thing. That's a very, frustrating thing for me but um but yeah so i feel i feel like we should i feel like we should try to like wrap up and say a broad statement but uh so i guess to recap people are flawed they're going to mess up just as you will mess up and as much as we may be inclined to do so, we cannot disengage with people. There are people that, that will be genuinely hurtful, and we may need to disengage from that person. Otherwise, we will be hurt. And not merely emotionally hurt, but like it could be physically. Like There are people that I, I think I've described as like there are people that are just toxic in life uh, and abusive and that sort of thing. Um, but like as far as just everyday people that you're going to talk to and, and deal with and relate to. Um, they're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. You cannot disengage with them because to bring us to the end here, um, because God did not disengage with us mm-hmm. instead, you know, as we were every, every day as we mess up and, and, you know, sometimes even actively push him away, he is still constantly engaging. It is always offered. His love endures forever. Um, and so hopefully, and there's, and there is a reason that God, that in the Bible, it regularly relates like God's forgiveness of us to our forgiveness, you know, that we should forgive others because God forgave us. And that like, we should know what that feels like and be able to extend that to other people and show them God through our actions. Yeah. And that's why disengagement with somebody, which incidentally is uh, it, as it, this is how hypocritical I am. I'm constantly thinking maybe I should just disengage. But if somebody were to disengage with me, I'd be uh, just floored and yeah. just uh, I would hate it. But um, but like uh, but yeah, precisely because God, who has every reason to disengage with us, 
the fact that he doesn't and in fact is always reaching out is a reason for why we should do that with other people. If you find, if you, the listener have found a way to absolutely master that on a practical level, feel free to email me, Tyler at more than one lesson.com. <laughs> you can also email Josh, Josh at more than one lesson.com. See how I just totally transitioned into yeah. the, the, the end. There you go. Uh, Josh, Josh at more than one lesson.com. Um, uh, you can find me on Twitter at more lessons. You can find Josh at the Josh long at the Josh long. You can also go to more than one lesson.com for various, uh, articles, past episodes, sermons, videos. There's a lot of stuff to do on there. You can join our Facebook page as well, uh, for updates. You can sign up for our newsletter in which we will, uh, send you stuff that you might've missed over the last month, uh, five to six weeks. Um, cause I'm not as uh, disciplined as I should be. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so uh, thank you everybody for listening. I know that there is a lot packed into this episode. Uh, Josh, thanks for being here so late at night. Hey. And uh, we will get you next time. Bye.